0: From the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. Hear now the word of God. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? We're not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen. Lift your hands with me as we pray to God. We have one prayer today, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is that you would remove any veil from our eyes that keeps us from seeing your face that we would behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, that we would behold you this morning, and that we would behold you looking at us in your tender and in your fierce love. That is what we pray for. Amen. Please be seated. My sermon today is titled Epiphany, Letting the Light In. Letting the light in. There is a story of a man who was captured from his homeland and was made to be a prisoner in an evil kingdom. He was locked up in chains deep down in the deep dark dungeon underneath the evil king's castle. Once a day, a light would shine suddenly in the darkened corridor outside of his cell. It was a light in the hands of the guard who would come every evening to toss into the cell. A tray of stale and cold and meager food, never enough to satisfy and often made him sick. To taunt the prisoner with cruelty and shame. And eventually to leave and take the light away, fading back into the darkness. This went on for more days than could be counted. And the man eventually began to take his rough blanket and hide himself from his guard's daily visitation, veiling himself from the cruel light. Days upon days passed until one fateful night when the man was awoken by the sounds of a battle above him. The stomping of feet and the clashing of metal, which grew louder and louder, until the, do- the door to his corridor outside his cell was flung open and a blinding light pierced through every square inch of the dungeon, into every cell and to every prisoner. Try as he did to veil himself again with the blanket, it was no use. Nothing. Could stop this light from getting in. Finally, he pulled the veil from his eyes and beheld not the oppressive guard he had come to expect, but a whole host of messengers sent from his home country, proclaiming to him his liberation from captivity and leading him by their glorious light out of the dungeon and back to the place where he belonged. This little parable tells us that there are two kinds of light that we experience and that show up in our passage today. There is the light that fades and enslaves, the light of the oppressive guard, and there is a light that stays and liberates. Epiphany in all of the Christian life is about beholding the always-staying, always-liberating light of the love of Jesus. Epiphany is about letting that light in, unveiling our eyes and our whole selves to it, And resisting the lights of this world, which fade and enslave and shame. And so, our passage today will explore deeply two kinds of light and two kinds of glory. So, first, we'll look at the light that fades and enslaves. Second Corinthians, that our passage comes from today, is one of the letters that the Apostle Paul sent to the churches in the city of Corinth, you might remember. These folks in these churches. If you know the story of the Bible, uh, they they always seem to be riding the struggle bus, all right? They're always having a hard time untangling their faith in and following after Jesus from the socio-cultural, ethnic, religious patterns of life and thought that they were accustomed to. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like you and me? Paul is trying to teach them, in the light of their foolishness, what ministry and what community and what growth and what love looks like as the body of Christ. He's trying to teach them a new way, a better way. And here, he does so by comparing and contrasting these two types of glory, these two types of light. And in the Bible, glory and light are often very closely linked. If you think of some stories about when God comes down Uh, In the Old Testament on a mountain, right, he comes down in fire, pillars of fire, pillars of light. And so God's presence and his glory, it's often connected with this fire and blazing light that Paul is going to bring out in this imagery. And, And to introduce the first picture, he brings to mind a character that the hearers would have known quite well, Moses. Moses was the most prominent prophet and leader of the people of Israel. By the way, Grace Mosaic, we are starting next Sunday a series on the whole book of Exodus. So I thought I would choose this text to get us in the mood for Exodus. Moses was the man whom God had chosen right to bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt and to give his people the law, the Torah, the letters that are carved on stone that Paul here refers to. And Paul brings to mind a specific story to their mind, and it's found in Exodus 33 and 34. You can go back and read it later. It was then that Moses went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, the law from God, and Moses would talk with God. And if you remember, Moses asked God, he said, show me your glory, God. But God told Moses that no one could truly see his glory and live to tell about it. No one could see God's glory and live. The only thing that God let Moses do was to hide in this crack of the rock. And and God said, Moses, I will show you my back because that's all you can take. And that's what happened. God revealed himself uniquely and powerfully to Moses, And at the end of Exodus 34, it says that whenever Moses came down from talking with God, his face was shining so brightly with the light of God's glory that the people of Israel would see him coming down and they would be very afraid because of that glory that shined. It reminded them of God's own glory, God's own presence, and they were afraid of God's presence because no one could see God's glory and live because of the presence of sin in us. And that is why, in our passage today, Paul calls Moses' ministry a ministry of condemnation and death. Though it was glorious, though God's law was good, it could not solve the core problem of death, evil, and shame that enslaved the hearts of women and men and boys and girls. The rules and the laws that were in the law only served to vividly expose the conditions in the people's hearts. It was a light... That brought in them guilt and shame. It showed them how enslaved they were to their own desires, desires that were often, so often, contrary to what was right. Laws and rules still expose us, don't they? They expose us for how we really behave. Don't cheat, don't hit, don't get angry, don't lie, don't oppress, don't covet, don't be greedy and selfish. Paul says says elsewhere in scripture that he didn't know how sinful he was until he just heard the law, do not covet. And then he saw within his heart all manner of covetousness, all manner of envy, all manner of greed. Because the light of the law leaves sinners undone. As we just sang, Lord, you are the Holy One, the light of your presence, what? Leaves sinners undone. Therefore, there was this alienation between the glorious presence of God and between his people. There was an estrangement from glory. So, the imagery comes in this passage the imagery of a veil that Paul is going to use in different ways for us. And it represents that estrangement, not being able to look at God, not being able to see God as He truly is. And Paul is grieving here that his fellow Israelites in that day remained veiled from the true light that had come in the Messiah Jesus. But also, later in chapter 4, he grieves that the God of this world has blinded the minds of all who do not believe. To some, the good news is veiled. He keeps them, the God of this world, meaning the enemy, Satan, from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So that's why Paul uses this imagery of veil, of separation, of estrangement. But here's the thing. Though human beings like you and I are estranged from God's glory and have been since the fall... We still desire to be part of glory, for we were made for glory. We all want to be part of something glorious, something divine. We all want to possess and look at, upon glory. I'm not trying to be cliche here when I say that if you think about it, every human endeavor that you and I witness in ourselves or in others is really about a chase for glory, for weight, for significance, for light in the midst of darkness and The feelings of unworthiness and purposelessness and meaninglessness and smallness that we all experience. I I tend to think we seek that glory out in three fundamental avenues. I'm going to rhyme them for you so you can remember them, okay? In treasure, in pleasure, or in human measure. All right? You like that? (laughs) Treasure. This Christmas, Melissa and I, uh, we did a lot of sitting around and talking. Which I hope you all did too, got a chance to rest. And we were talking with my brother. Uh, and, and my brother and I were, were talking about Christmas time. We were talking about his oldest son, Noah, my nephew, and Noah's desire for a certain type of toy, which I believe this year was a Star Wars themed Hot Wheels truck. You know what I'm saying? And uh, it was pretty, which is pretty cool in the world of an eight year old, right? And, you know, as little boys, or let's be honest, as big boys do, his mind was fixed on getting that treasure that he wanted leading into Christmas, which, of course, has become the ultimate materialistic holy day of American culture. And so my brother, in talking with his son about this, wisely put a question to his son's heart to make him ponder. He said, Noah, let me ask you something. Noah, if you really got all the Star Wars-themed Hot Wheels that you wanted, all of them that they ever made, and you unwrapped it all and you looked at it and played with it for long enough, would it be enough to make your heart truly satisfied for a very long time? And my nephew thought about it for a moment, and he said, No, honestly, Dad, it wouldn't. It would only last for a little bit. I was struck by that exchange because though it's simple and though it's innocent in a childhood way, it's obvious to us that the glory of treasure fades, doesn't it? It's amazing just how much that is forgotten and how so many people spend so much of their time to, and energies to acquire the glory of treasure, only to realize that its light fades so quickly. I just got a new pair of running shoes the other day with a Christmas gift card. They're amazing. They feel like a pillow and a shield around my feet. Yes. But I'm going to step in some muddy puddles. I'm going to run on them for a while. And ask me in six months, I'll be like, I need a new pair. They stink. They, They will wear and tear and fade. We have to remind ourselves that the treasures of this world wear and tear and fade because we were never meant to find glory in them. But not only do they wear and tear and fade, they also enslave people. You know this. The love of treasure and the glory, and it also enslaves. Paul said, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Humans glory in treasure, but humans also glory in pleasure. The pleasure of our bodies, of substances, and experiences are among the most glorious things that we can experience and touch. But the glory of these fades too, doesn't it? Experiences are only new once, and they disappoint with each subsequent time. This too, like the love of money, enslaves those who love it, and it leads them into places of darkness. Finally, we also glory in human measure, meaning what we, ourselves, or what other people think and say about you and I. We wrap our glory and our self-worth up in that. We wrap our hearts up into it. More often than we would like to admit, the underlying questions that our hearts are driven either into joy or despair by are questions like these. Am I successful? Does he or she or they think I'm pretty, or cool, or intelligent? Do I have it all together? Do I have the right combination of smart and beautiful and cutting edge and right balance of all the right traits. You know how fleeting this is. If people approve of us and what we've done and we are considered to be successful, we feel great. If people disapprove of of you, you are crushed under the weight of how unworthy and inadequate you feel. I know this in my own heart. Another thing I did over Christmas is I sat around and I watched cable television. I never do that. So that means I watched something like 48 Hours, all right? And uh, they were doing an interview with Paul McCartney of the Beatles. You might have heard of him, pretty famous, pretty well uh, achieved in the world of pop music. But he talked about still the insecurity he feels after all these years. And the interviewer said, I mean, you're Paul McCartney. You've achieved everything. And he said, it doesn't really matter how elevated you get or how high your reputation gets, you still worry about what people are thinking about you. Don't we know that some of the most powerful people in this world are the most insecure and driven by their own petty fears, petty greed, petty selfishness? And that's because humans were not meant to glory in human measure. Our estimation of ourselves or other people's estimations of us And you need to hear this about treasure and pleasure and human measure because somewhere, somehow in your life, you are hearing an alternative message. And that's this, that if you can just acquire this thing, this title, this skill, this person, this child, this family arrangement, this scenario, this guarantee, then it will all be okay forever the light will shine and it will never fade. Your insecurities, your unsureties, your lack of control, your lack of money, it will blissfully float away and you will be satisfied. You will stand in the presence of glory and be at peace forever. That's a lie. That's a lie. And it's inundating us in this time of new years. Reinvent yourself. It comes around once a year. Reinvent yourself. This year, you can finally get it together. This year, you can finally achieve glory, the glory of weight loss, the glory of a new body, the glory of a new financial security, the glory of investing, the, new, the glory of a new Mercedes Benz with 0% financing for 64 months. <laughs> but that's false too. The light will fade. The light of these things always does. It will enslave. Mistakes will be made and guilt and shame will follow. That is the light That fades and enslaves, but there is another way, friends. And on this Epiphany Sunday, we remember that there is a different kind of light and a different kind of glory. And it is the light that stays and liberates. The glory of Moses' ministry was one that faded with time. It was not a permanent solution, says the text. That's the consistent story that the Bible tells, is that we need something more permanent, more glorious than the law, than the prophets. We We needed a different reality of the glory of God that we desire and the light that we crave to stand in, but that we are estranged and afraid and feel unworthy of. Essentially, what Paul goes on to say is that the unfading light and glory of the Christian life rests in the fact that God did something more glorious than he did with Moses on Mount Sinai. A new glory, a new light has come that surpasses the light that has come before And so Paul says, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because the glory that surpasses it. Yes, there was glory when God came on Mount Sinai and gave the law. Yes, there was glory in the sacrificial system, the sacrifice of bulls and doves and grain offerings. Yes, there is glory in the midst of your life amidst treasure and pleasure and human measure, but there has come among us a glory that has surpassed it. So that once What appeared to have glory to us is now appearing to have no glory at all because the glory that surpasses it. In verse 7, he calls this new ministry not the ministry of death, but instead the ministry of the Spirit. He calls it not the ministry of condemnation, but the ministry of righteousness. What does this mean? Simply put, from Romans 8, 3, and 4, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according, according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So in the light of Christmas and in the light of Epiphany, we say this, because Jesus the Son has come among us to free us from sin and shame and death and evil as the great liberator, we find liberation in him. And in his spirit. Jesus is the one who comes to liberate us from the bondage in the evil kingdom. God is not the cruel, oppressive taskmaster you might have thought he was. who Who tosses in meager portions that make you sick. No. He is the messenger and the mediator that comes to take the chains off. And lead us by his glorious light out of the dungeon back to the place where we belong. As Charles Wesley once wrote... And probably one of the great hymn verses of all time. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. My eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Amen. So, since we have such a hope, Paul says, we're bold. We are very bold in the presence of God. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face, because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom—freedom freedom from what? Freedom from condemnation. Freedom from fear. Freedom from death. Freedom from shame. From feeling not good enough. Feeling from loneliness. Feeling uh, freedom from separation. Freedom from loss of identity and freedom from our, mar- our many and various passions. People in our culture often think that true freedom and true humanity is being able to do what you feel like doing. But we proclaim that is not the truth, because then you are chained to your own desires. True freedom is coming into the light of Jesus and having all of your desires, all of the intentions of your hearts known, and having them reshaped and reformed in the freedom of the Spirit of God. Freedom then towards and to what end, I ask? The answer to that question comes in the most glorious and luminous verse of this passage. One of my favorite verses in all of the scripture, if you remember how Paul uses that imagery of veil, right? Estrangement, alienation. But then he says, we are so bold and we, listen to this, with unveiled face, beholding the full glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's further brought out to light in what the words of assurance were that we heard today, right? The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Unlike our mothers and fathers of the faith, the Israelites on Sinai, we no longer need a veil to behold the glory of the Lord. No longer is there separation. Epiphany in the incarnation is about taking off the veil and the masks that we use to hide from Jesus and from one another. It is about looking at Jesus and beholding him looking back at you. The incarnation means that glory, the full glory of God We don't need to go clamor for it. We don't need to go search for it. It has come to seek us out. It laid in a manger after laying in the womb of its mother, Mary. It touched, it healed, it died, it rose. It came among us. Love walked among us. As John says in John 1, for the law was given through Moses, but what? Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God, but Jesus has made him known. You might feel distant from Jesus, but Jesus is not distant from you. God has taken great lengths to show himself to you. But the question of epiphany is, have you shown yourself to God? Have you shown yourself to God in all of your problems, all of your dysfunction, all of your shame, your sexuality, your rage, your anger, your inner thoughts, your marriage, your past? your fears, your petty jealousies, your grand dreams of being famous and well-loved by everyone in your field, your need for everything to be just so, to have peace and security. Have you unveiled yourself to the face of God and Jesus Christ? The incarnation says that, as Eugene Peterson famously put it, Christ has moved into your neighborhood The word has become flesh. God has made himself vulnerable and weak and knowable in your presence. But have you made yourself weak and vulnerable and knowable in God's presence, manifesting and looking at you and seeing in you the love of God with his fierce and tender love? I ask you this as I ask myself this, because there's one maxim of leadership that I always hold to, and that's that you can't lead people deeper than you've gone yourself. And I think God is still leading me to know what it means to be vulnerable in his presence. To make myself known to him. From one degree of glory to the next. Epiphany is about letting the light in. It's about letting the light shine upon you as the light is shining through this window now. It's about basking in the presence of the glory of God without shame or fear. You will screw up. It is true. As we heard in the word of assurance today, we have this treasure what? And jars of clay. Clay breaks easy. Clay cracks. But as the Canadian songwriter Leonard Cohen said, ring the bells that can still ring. Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. There are cracks in you and I. That's how the light gets in. And that's how the transforming love of God transforms us from one degree of glory to the next I needed this passage in this season. I needed it this day. And I know that someone else needs it in here too. I feel like I've been stuck in a rut and under the burden of fear for months. Life gets like that sometimes. That's part of God's process of transforming you from one degree of glory to the next. You have to stop and have moments where you can show yourself to God and say, I'm a mess. See me, know me, forgive me, change me. Make me more human. Make me more of who I am supposed to be which is the image of God revealed in the image of Jesus Christ. Epiphany is a season about asking this question, this fundamental question. Who is Jesus and what does that mean for me? Who is Jesus and what does that mean for me? That's the fundamental question of discipleship. Whether you have professed faith in Christ for a long time or have not yet professed faith in him, who is he? And what does that mean for me? In the Daily Prayer Project in the season, we're going through the Gospel of Matthew. And I encourage you to just read through Matthew's Gospel. Look at Jesus in his actions and in his teachings and say, Who are you, Lord? I thought I understood you. But if you've ever read the Gospels, you know you get to those passages where you're like, I don't really get Jesus. We don't really get Jesus fully. It's from one degree of glory to the next. And I ask, do you and I experience the glory of God in a way that is unveiled? Or are you still hiding from God? Are you still hiding? Well, come and behold him, born the king of Israel. Come and adore him. How do we behold Jesus? We behold him in the church, his body. We behold him in community with one another, making ourselves vulnerable amongst one another. And that's how Jesus reveals himself. We reveal and behold Jesus in the scriptures and the sacraments and in cultivating a life of prayer in his presence. That is how we see and behold him. And as we look upon him with unveiled faces, we are transformed into the very image of God and Jesus Christ. We are made to be like many mirrors and reflectors of God's glory in the world. Like Moses' face shined, our face shines brighter because we look upon the full glory of God in the face of Jesus. And as you and I, like the Magi, come and kneel and bring our treasures and our very selves to bow and worship to Jesus, we come to reflect his glory more and more into the world. Jesus said, "What? You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. So in this same way, let your light shine before others, so that you may they may see your good works and and give glory to God your Father who is in heaven. We are to behold the light of God's glory and to reflect it back to the, to everywhere in our lives, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. And as I dwelled on that this week, I couldn't help but think of one of the, the greatest American Christian saints, Miss Fanny Lou Hamer. Has anyone heard of Fanny Lou Hamer? Hey, she's one of my heroes. Fannie Lou was the youngest of 20 children born to a Mississippi sharecropping family in the early 20th century. She spent her whole life since she was six picking cotton and living in the oppressive Jim Crow, the oppressive and deadly Jim Crow South. By 1962, she was 44 years old, she was dirt poor, and she walked with a limp. She never knew why. She had a sixth grade education. But when she was 44, she was recruited and participated for the first time in August 1962 in the movement to gain voting rights in her area. She was recruited by SNCC. She was put on a bus with others in order to go to the courthouse in Indianola, Mississippi, to register to vote. Because, as she said later, she was sick and tired of being sick and tired. But she never did uh, get to register to vote that one day in August. She flunked the literacy test, something about the 16th section of the Mississippi Constitution. And then later on the bus ride back in her hometown of Ruleville, the the driver of the bus was arrested. Something about the bus being too yellow. And as fellow passengers waited nervously for the driver, Hamer began to sing in the strong, steady voice that would become her trademark at rallies and meetings, as she often liked to say, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, this little light of mine. Come on, sing. I'm going to let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Fanny Lou knew Jesus and his light. And so she knew her calling was to try with her little light to push back against the darkness that she could push back against. And that is our task. We let the light of Christ and the glory of God into our lives so that we may reflect it and shine it back out into a world that is so often dark and oppressive and evil. But we have this treasures in jars of clay to know that the surpassing glory belongs to God and not to us. Amen.